fantastic early service. We had a great growth track class and uh, had so many new guests in growth track today. And now we get to do it at the 11 o'clock hour. Are you excited to be here this morning? I'm grateful that you're here and God is doing something special in our church and I am thankful to be a part of it. And I'm grateful that you are here as well this morning. You can go and find a seat today. And if you have a Bible this morning, I want to encourage you to find it and go to the Old Testament book of Psalms, the book of Psalms. And if you don't have a Bible today, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And you can use that Bible this morning and follow along with us. And I want to encourage you to keep that Bible open and ready today. We started a new series a couple of weeks ago that we've been calling The Good Life. And we're talking about what the good life actually is. Not the good life as the world has to offer, but the good life that is found in Scripture, in the Bible. And uh, the good life that is the abundant life, living with Jesus. And, uh, and so uh, I've been encouraged through the Word of God over the last several weeks. And I'm looking forward to diving in today to Psalms chapter number 1. If you're there, would you say Amen. Psalm chapter number one, let's start reading in verse number one. The Bible says this, blessed, everybody say blessed. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly, here's a contrast in verse 4, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the, sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Today, for a few minutes, I want to speak to this subject. Blessed, not stressed. Blessed, not stressed. Are you ready this morning? Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for the tremendous morning that we've already had. Thank you for the work that you're doing here in this place. Lord, I pray that today we can look to your word and that we can find great encouragement and edification in our time together. Lord, I pray that we would understand what this blessed life looks like, uh, how we can attain it, and how we can live not for our own glory, but ultimately for your glory. And uh, we love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, how many of you have ever been in a very stressful situation? Anybody like that? Very stressful situation. I remember a couple of years ago, I was driving with my dad and my brother and we were going to go uh, to a golf tournament in San Diego at Torrey Pines Golf Course. And we were excited about this. Someone had given us these special passes to the golf tournament that included special VIP parking and special access and all-you-can-eat food. And so uh, we were very excited about this. We thought, man, uh, this is a great gift. Let's go and enjoy this. We were having a great time on the way, just kind of talking about the tournament, talking about uh, the day that we were going to have. 
And uh, those special passes that we had were on the dashboard in the front seat of the car. And my brother Larry was in the passenger seat. And as we're driving along on the 5 freeway in San Diego, my brother thought it would be a good idea to roll down the window to get some fresh air. And as he rolled down the window to get some fresh air, those golf passes flew out the window. And uh, all three of them. And we were kind of all in shock, like, oh, my goodness, what just happened? And that kind of happened in slow motion. And my dad quickly pulled over to the shoulder of the freeway, and he said, Matt, go get them. And I was thinking, how am I supposed to go and get these golf passes? They are like 100 yards down uh, the freeway, this very uh, busy freeway. But I thought, okay, I better listen to my dad. And so I jumped out of the car, and I started to run back that way. I was kind of running along the side of the freeway. And I'm looking, thinking, I'm never going to find these passes in a million years. And right when I was thinking that, there was one of the passes sitting right there in the middle of of the freeway. This was a four-lane highway. And so now I'm kind of looking like a a real-life game of Frogger is about to take place right now. And so So I'm kind of like looking, like trying to time this right. I'm thinking this golf tournament sounds like a lot of fun, but I also like my life and I don't want to lose it right now. And so I'm kind of looking down uh, the the freeway, trying to time it right. And right when I thought that there was a little bit of a break, I ran out. I sprinted out into the middle of the freeway, grabbed that pass, and I ran back as fast as I could. And my adrenaline was just through the roof, right? Like my heart was just beating out of my chest. And it was a very intense and stressful uh, situation. And uh, uh, thankfully, uh, a few minutes later, we were able to find the other passes, and they were all kind of uh, uh, torn up, and and cars had kind of uh, run over them. But thankfully, they still worked, and we were able to get into that golf tournament, which was a blessing. Uh, But that was a very stressful situation. And the truth is, life is full of stressful moments. You might have a stressful day. You might have a stressful year. You might have a stressful job or career path. But stress is something that all of us are accustomed to. In fact, in our culture, we are becoming more and more acclimated to living with stress. And sometimes we even wear stress as a badge of honor. And the more stressed we are, the more significant we feel as though we are. And our culture is very familiar with stress. Every year, the American Psychological Association, they put uh, out number and data uh, uh, information on stress levels in the United States. And you can imagine this last year, the numbers on stress were through the roof. And uh, stress, uh, stress levels were at an all-time high. These were some of the numbers that were reported with the American Psychological Association. 42% this past year gained unintentional weight because of stress. And uh, the average being 15 pounds, the quarantine 15, right? And uh, 67% said that they're sleeping less. 48% of parents say that stress levels have gone up. 46% of Gen Z says that their mental health has worsened. And so we are living in a culture and an environment where stress is everywhere that we look. and, And stress is something that we live with. But I want you to know that it is not God's desire that you would live a stress life. It is God's desire that you live the blessed life. And all throughout scripture, God tells us that we can be blessed and we can find joy and we can find fulfillment and we can find happiness, not linked to our circumstances, but linked to our relationship with Jesus. We can live the blessed life. The prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17 said this, blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Psalm 144, verse 15, happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. And so we can be blessed. We can find joy. The question is, how do we find this blessed life? 
The question is, how can we live uh, this life of blessing? And to answer that question, we're going to look at Psalms chapter 1 today. And Psalms chapter 1 is a beautiful passage of scripture that tells us everything that we need to know about living the blessed life. How many of you today would say, you know what, I'm at least a little bit interested in the blessed life that the Bible has to talk about. Well, good news today because Psalms chapter 1 tells us everything we need to know about living the blessed life. It gives us the who, it gives us the what, it gives us the where, and it gives us the why of the blessed life. Now, to kind of help us understand a little bit of the context for Psalms chapter 1, I think it's important anytime you're studying the Bible to understand uh, the context and how did we arrive here and what is this really, uh, uh, what is this about and who wrote this. And so we come to the book of Psalms and I brought a picture today from ancient antiquity, maybe something you've never seen before. It's called a church hymnal. And this is something, how many of you are familiar with the hymnal, okay? Uh, the hymnal is what we would use to sing songs before we had things like screens, right? We would actually open up a physical book to find the lyrics to the songs that we sing. Now, I want you to know that Psalms chapter 1 in the book of Psalms is essentially a Hebrew hymn book. And so the book of Psalms is filled with poetry that has been put to song and been put to music. Several different authors contributed to the Psalms. We know David and Moses and Solomon and Korah, all of these different men wrote these songs that are compiled into this book. David uh, perhaps wrote uh, the most of them, over 75 Psalms written and attributed to David, writing these songs that, that lift the spirit and, and uh, these songs of prayer and songs of of wisdom. The book of Psalms has made a great impact really throughout history and throughout other books of the Bible. Other men of God have often been found quoting and citing the book of Psalms. Uh, how many of you are familiar with Jonah? Jonah, right? When Jonah was in the belly of a whale, he quoted from the book of Psalms. When Peter preached to Jerusalem, uh, he was quoting from the book of Psalms. Ro in Romans chapter 3, when Paul was looking for the right verbiage and the right language to use in Romans chapter 3, he pulled from the book of Psalms. Even Jesus, when he was on the cross in Golgotha, quoted from Psalms. My father, why hast thou forsaken me? And so we see that uh, these, these men of God and these uh, individuals often would pull from the book of Psalms, which, by the way, I think gives us a very helpful template and a helpful reminder. When we are going through a day of adversity, when we're going through a tough season, the greatest thing that you can do is not run to the world, but run to the word of God to provide hope and encouragement and nourishment for your soul. And so they would quote from the book of Psalms. Jesus quoted from Psalms more than any other Old Testament book. Uh, constantly citing the book of Psalms. Now, uh, there, there is a pastor, uh, there was a pastor named uh, Hampton Keithley from the Moody Bible Institute, and he talked about Psalms chapter 1. And I thought I would read his statement and his quote uh, because it gives us a little bit of insight as to this first uh, chapter in this book of the Bible. It says this. He says this. The first psalm stands as kind of an introduction to the rest of the psalms. Its subject matter is very general and basic. But it touches on two subjects that continually occur throughout the Psalms. It declares the blessedness of the righteous and the misery and future of the wicked. Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm. There are praise psalms, lament psalms, enthronement psalms. And all of them contain wisdom, of course. But as an introduction and door to the rest of the Psalms, this psalm, Psalm 1, declares in just a few words some of the most basic but profound truths and propositions of the Bible. Psalm chapter 1 tells us everything that we need to know about the blessed life, the, the truly good life. Now, let's pick it up in verse number 1. Do you have your Bible open and ready today? Verse number 1. I want to look at one word, and then we're going to dive into the outline today. 
It says this, blessed, blessed. Uh, the word blessed is the Hebrew word asher, and it means, very simply, it means to be happy, but a deep sense of fulfillment, a deep sense of happiness. Uh, it means to, 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 to find joy and satisfaction and fulfillment. In fact, it's interesting that the word blessed is in the plural. And so one commentator, John Phillips, he says that it can literally be rendered happy, happy. Uh, happy, happiness on the outside, but happiness on the inside, blessed. And so as we look to Psalm chapter 1 today, that's what we're going to discover and uncover. What are the keys to living a blessed life? And so if you're taking notes today, I want to give us four keys that will unlock the blessed life. Are you interested today? Four keys that will unlock the blessed life. The first key is this, the right people. The right people. Now, notice verse number one. He says, blessed is the man that walketh not. Not. It's interesting, when God wants to talk about blessing, when he wants to talk about the blessed life, he actually starts with a negative. He actually starts with something that we should not do. Now, we like the power of positive thinking. We like to think about the glass half full, right? We want to have the power of positive thinking. But there is also power, we have to recognize, in negative thinking. To recognize that there are some certain things that we should not do. There are certain places we should not go. There are certain things that we should not believe. There are certain uh, areas that, that, that we should not go to. And so uh, we have to recognize that the psalmist here is starting. He's saying, blessed is the man that walketh not. He's giving us this negative. He's giving us this restriction. See, when God wants to give you a great yes, he will often start with a no. When God wants to give you a great liberation, he will often start with a limitation saying, okay, uh, let's not do this thing. And so the psalmist says, hey, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. He's talking about the people that we surround ourselves with. And he's going to give us three specific warnings, and I want to give them to us this morning. So if we're going to surround ourselves with the right people, the first warning is this, be very careful about the advice that you get. Be very careful about the counsel and the advice that you get. Did you see it in verse number one? Let's look at it. Verse number one. He says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Getting counsel, getting advice that is ungodly. How many of you have ever received bad counsel or bad advice? Anybody like that? Last year, we were trying to talk about uh, the best fried chicken places to eat, and uh, Daniel suggested and offered some advice that we go to Popeye's. I want to tell you today, that was bad advice, okay? Not, not great advice, okay? And uh, we have to be very careful in life about the advice that we receive and the counsel that we let into our lives. Now, when it comes to counsel, when it comes to getting advice, we often have a wrong perspective. We decide whether counsel is good, if it's good or not, whether we agree or not. If we go and get counsel from someone or we say, hey, I need to get some advice, and we like what we hear, generally we'll agree with it. If we don't like what we hear, then generally, no, nah, that's not good advice. But I want you to know that, that good advice has nothing to do with the fact that you agree or disagree. Uh, good advice and good counsel has everything to do with, is it godly or ungodly? If it's godly, then I should receive it, even if it's uncomfortable. If it's ungodly, then I should reject it. How do I know if the advice and the counsel that I'm receiving is godly or ungodly? Well, the Bible says this in Psalm 119, verse number 24. Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. 
And so we gauge it and we filter it, not through our emotions or through our feelings or through the culture or through media. We filter the counsel and the advice that we receive through the word of God. And so we have to be very careful about the advice and the counsel that we receive because so often we are listening to the wrong voices and wrong voices will lead to wrong choices. And so we have to make sure that the counsel and the advice that we receive is coming from the word of God. He says, blessed. You want to be blessed? You want to be fulfilled? You want to live the good life and happy in Jesus? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. I want to encourage you. The Bible says that there is safety in the multitude of counselors. If you have a big decision coming up, if you are considering a big life change, I want to encourage you. You better be getting some godly counsel. And not just from people that you already know what they're going to say. There's safety in a multitude of counselors. And so be very careful about the advice that you get. Uh, Secondly, be careful about the actions that you take. Because your thinking will always lead to behavior. Right? And so he says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands, verse 1, in the way of sinners. The way of sinners means the path of sinners. And so it's one thing to get advice, right? You're just walking in the counsel of the ungodly. I'm, getting, I'm listening to advice. I'm listening to culture. I'm listening to the world. I'm listening to uh, the media. I'm kind of like just gleaning from that. But to stand in the way of sinners means that you have made a decision. Now I'm on this path. Uh, Now this is the direction that I want to go. And so he says, be careful about the advice you get. Be careful about the actions you take. And thirdly, be careful about the associations that you have. Because he says, notice the end of verse number three. Are you with me today? Notice the end of verse three. He says, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. The scornful. Now the scornful or the scoffer, that is someone that mocks or belittles God or belittles the Bible and belittles our faith. And by the way, in our culture today, you don't have to look very far before you find someone that is going to mock our faith, right? I mean, we see it all the time, even in, even in corporations that have Christian values and, you know, Hobby Lobby is in the news and Chick-fil-A is in the news. And, and there is a, a scornful mindset towards even the basic Christian fundamental principles that we find in God's word. You don't have to be a Christian very long uh, to realize that people are going to think that you're a little weird for believing the Bible. But I want you to know, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man sows, that will he also reap. And so the scorner is someone that mocks and belittles the things of God. And here's what the psalmist says. You want to be blessed? Don't sit in that seat. Be very careful about the associations that you have. Now, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, It says, be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. That means that bad company will corrupt good intentions. You might be very well-intentioned, like, I just want to help this person. I just want to, I have great intentions, but be very careful because nearness is likeness. And the Bible says, be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. Now, that doesn't mean that we hunker down and that we never interact with people that are different than us and we never have conversation with the lost and dying world. No, we are called to be salt and light. And and Jesus was called a friend of publicans and sinners because Jesus would go to the hurting. He would go to the broken uh, for the purpose to bring about healing and to share the gospel with them. And so we have to have this balance and this understanding as followers of Jesus that I want to share the gospel with everyone. And I want to show the love of Jesus to everyone. But I'm going to be very careful about who I'm influenced by. And I want to be very careful about the voices that I allow into my life. And so we have to surround ourselves with the right People, Proverbs chapter 13, verse number 20, he that walketh with wise men, guess what? He shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. 
doesn't say that you are the fool. You have a companion that's a fool. And so we have to be very careful about the people that we surround ourselves with. You want to live uh, the blessed life, uh, be around the right people. Are you with me today? So the first key to unlock the blessed life is the right people. Here's the second key, the right promises. The right promises. Now, the right promises are found in only one place, the word of God. The right promises are found in the pages of Scripture. Now, this is where the psalmist is going to direct our attention, verse number two, and I really want you to see it. It's so vitally important that we understand this. Notice verse number two. He says, but his delight, okay, his happiness, his joy, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, typically when we think of a law, we don't think of something that brings us delight, right? When you think of rules and regulations, you don't think, oh, great, you know, uh, more of them, right? But when the psalmist says the law of the Lord, he's actually referring to something specific. He's referring to uh, the first five books of the Bible, known as the Pentateuch, right? And so he's saying, but my delight is in the law of the Lord. In other words, uh, my delight is in the word of God. My delight is in the pages of scripture. He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And so I want to teach two things about our relationship to the Bible. Would that be okay? Uh, the word of God. Uh, the first thing is that the word of God deserves our full affection. Affection. Love. Delight. Do you love the word of God? Do you love the Bible? Do we love the word of God as much as we love watching Netflix and love Hulu and love sporting events and, and love all of these other things? Do we love the word of God? Because verse number two says his delight, what he loves, what he finds joy in is the law of the Lord, is the word of God. The word of God deserves our full affection. Psalm 119.97 says this, oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. I love Psalm 119 verse 103. It says this, how sweet are the words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Don't you love that verse? He's talking about the, the scripture. He's talking about the word of God. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. He's saying the word of God is far better than your favorite meal. How many of you have a favorite meal? Something that you're, only like four of you have a favorite meal. All the rest of you, you, you need to find something that you enjoy. There's a lot of great food out there. And uh, he, he, says, he says the word of God is better than your favorite Meal. Uh, about a year ago, Katie and I, we found this shop in Orange County. It's a, it's a butchery, this meat shop. And uh, we walked in there kind of by accident. We started to peruse around, look around a little bit. And we decided to buy this little pre-packaged, pre-marinated uh, steak strip. And it was Wagyu beef. It was skirt steak, I think. It was this really, it, it wasn't that expensive because it's kind of small. And we just thought, let's just try this. And so we bought it. It has changed our lives. It is the most amazing piece of meat uh, that we have, that we've ever experienced. And so there's been some times, Katie can tell you uh, the, the truth of this statement. There's been some times when we have been craving that because we enjoyed it so much that we have gotten in the car and drove 45 minutes to that place just to get that little piece of steak and drive all the way back home so that we can cook it and have it, right? Why? Because when you really delight in something, you'll go out of your way to find it. When you really love something, no one's going to twist your arm or force you to try to have it, right? Uh, like if someone offers me ice cream, no one's going to have to twist my arm to have that ice cream. I like ice cream, right? Like if you put ice cream in front of me, I'm going to consume that ice cream. I like that ice cream, right? Because that's something that I delight in. Can I encourage you today that the word of God is not a duty? The word of God is a delight and the word of God deserves your full affection. Do you love it? Maybe you're sitting here thinking, not really. 
I don't know if I love it. I don't know if I have that kind of affection for the word of God. You know when you're sick, your appetite changes. You know, like when you're not feeling well, those things that usually sound really good, like a, like a double-double from in and out that usually sounds pretty good. Can I get an amen? Anybody agree with me? That typically sounds pretty good. But when you're sick, you don't want that. That sounds disgusting, right? Because when you're sick, your appetite changes. And when there is sin in your life that is unconfessed, when there is something that is weighing you down, your spiritual appetite changes. And now you no longer crave the word of God. You no longer desire the word of God because there's some sort of sin in your life. And what the psalmist is saying is if you want to live the blessed life, you've got to believe the right promises. The word of God deserves your full affection, love. But then secondly, the word of God not only deserves your full affection, it deserves your full attention. Attention. Did you see it in verse number two? Notice it. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's your affection, your delight. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. Meditate. Now, a lot of times there's confusion about meditation, and there's, there's, there's uh, some differing uh, ideas on what meditation should be. In Eastern kind of mysticism and Eastern meditation, the goal of meditation is to empty your mind. You clear your mind, you empty your mind. But when you empty your mind, that's a dangerous place to be because then your mind is open to deception, open to false theology, open to false doctrine. And so in Eastern meditation, the goal is to empty your mind. But in biblical meditation, the goal is not to empty your mind. The goal is actually to fill your mind, to fill your mind with the word of God, to fill your mind on scripture. And so meditation then is more than just simply reading God's word. Because if you're not careful, you will just wake up and read the word of God and check it off of your to-do list and say, okay, I had my quiet time today for five minutes. Good. In one ear, out the other. I read it. And that's it. That's not meditation. The idea of meditation is to read the word of God, to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, to read it again, to think on it, to think on it some more, to pray on it, to consider how does this apply to me. See, this is the idea of meditation. When was the last time you really paused and meditated on the word of God? You really pause and just consider what the Bible was saying, how it applies to you, and thinking on it over and over again. The word meditate literally gives a picture of a cow chewing its grass. And if you've ever observed a cow chewing grass, they do something kind of gross. They chew on it for a little bit, and then they spit it out. Then they wander around, and they come back to it, and they chew on it again. Then they spit it out, and they come back to it, and they, they chew on it some more. That's the idea of meditation, that we're going to read the word of God. We're going to pray on it, think on it, come back to it. Read on it, pray on it, come back to it. That's the idea of meditation. So he says, he says, but his delight, that's your affection, is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. I love what Thomas Watson, he's a Puritan preacher of old, and uh, he said this about meditation. He said, meditate on what you read. The Hebrew word for meditate means to be intense with the mind. Meditation without reading is wrong and bound to error. So again, it's not just, it's not just clearing my head and not reading the scripture, Okay. He says, meditation without reading is wrong and bound to error, but reading without meditation is barren and fruitless. And so we're just going to open up the word of God and just read it quickly and never really pause to think about it, never really pause to pray about it, never really pause to apply it, and it's going to be a barren thing. And so we have to read the word of God and let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. You know, this is the idea that Joshua was conveying in Joshua chapter number one. And I, I can't get any more profound or deep than Joshua chapter number one. Uh, if there's one verse that I would encourage you to listen to, it's this verse. 
Uh, this verse has the power to change your life. It's the only verse in all the Bible that mentions success. Okay, and this is what it says. Are you ready? This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. There's the application. So you meditate on it, you think on it. Then you observe to do. See, it'll always lead to action. According to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. And so good success is simply the result of knowing and understanding and reading and meditating on Scripture. The Scripture leads to success. So what are the keys to the blessed life? How are we going to unlock this blessed life? The right people. Surrounding yourself with the right people, iron sharpening, iron sharpening iron, and then the right promises found in God's word. Here's the third, third key today. Are you ready? Here's the third key, the right place. The right place. You want to unlock the blessed life? You have to find yourself in the right place. The place. Now, verse number three says this. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, the right place. My family loves going to Disneyland. A couple of years ago, we had uh, Disney passes, and uh, we had a lot of fun taking the kids there. We were going uh, on a regular basis. And one of our favorite things to do at Disneyland, one of our favorite things to do, and was one of the first things that we try to find whenever we go to Disneyland, is to get a Disneyland churro. How many of you have ever had a Disneyland churro, okay? They're not like other churros, okay? They're magical. It's Disneyland. They're special. It's not like the churros at El Pollo Loco, although those are pretty good. Not like the churros at Costco, although those are pretty good. Uh, these churros are something special. And if you want an even greater Disneyland hack, if you go to California Adventure and go by where the Ferris wheel is, uh, there is a little stand that sells Buzz Lightyear churros, and they're different. They're special, and uh, uh, they are amazing. And so the next time you go, you're welcome, and uh, enjoy those churros. Well, I remember a couple years ago, we went to Disneyland, and we were standing uh, by the castle, and we were waiting for uh, a show or something to start, and we were just standing there waiting, and there was a Disneyland worker that walked by us, and in both hands, they were filled with bundles of churros, Disneyland churros. They just had, had these handfuls of them, and as they walked by us, as this person walked by us, he said, free churros, free churros, and he was giving uh, out free churros, and he gave everyone in our family a free churro. Now, if you're, if you're unfamiliar with Disneyland, that doesn't happen on a regular basis, okay? Uh, that is something that is truly magical. Typically, those churros cost like $17 a piece, and he was just handing out those, those churros, and it was a wonderful thing. Uh, even to this day, we're not really sure why he was handing out those churros, but we happened to be in the right place at the right time, and we received a blessing. And I want you to know today, spiritually speaking, if you want to experience the blessed life, you've got to be in the right place the right place. The psalmist says, the psalmist says, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Why by the rivers of water? That's where the nourishment is. That's, that is the place that is most spiritually conducive for your spiritual growth and health, by the water, by where the nourishment is, where you're getting fed spiritually, where you're growing spiritually. Now, this would have been an image and a picture that would have been very familiar 
uh, to the Israelites because Israel is a very dry and arid place, very barren place, right? And so if there's going to be a tree that's going to be very fruitful and productive, uh, that tree has to be attached to a good water source. And so uh, if that tree was planted by the rivers of water, there would be nourishment coming to that place. And so the psalmist says, if you want to unlock the blessed life, you have to be where the nourishment is coming for your soul. And then he says this in verse number three. I want you to see it. He says, and he shall be like a tree planted, rooted, having some stability planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. In other words, when you are planted, you will then be productive. Many people are not producing good fruit because they are simply not planted in the right place. If you want to produce good fruit and you want to be productive, then you've got to be planted. Later on in the Psalms, in Psalm chapter 92, verse number 13, I would encourage you to write down this reference. It says this, Those that be planted, everybody say planted. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. When we're planted in the house of the Lord, when we're planted in the local church, when we're rooted in the community that God has given us, he says there will be flourishing, there will be nourishment for your soul. There's such a great benefit to getting planted in the local church, to digging roots down deep. I'm praying that there would be some men and women in this room and some families that would say, you know what, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord and we're going to get planted in this house. We're going to get planted in the local church. Hey, this is a place where where, uh, this is not a perfect church, but this is a place where we are striving to uh, preach the gospel message and reach people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. This is a place where we uh, uh, want to worship the Lord with all of our heart and soul. This is a place where we greatly value uh, the word of God and the teaching of God's word. And so there ought to be some people that would say, you know, we want to get rooted and planted in the local church. He says, he says, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And then you will bear fruit. And then it says in its season. I I feel like I could preach from verse number three all day long. There's so much practical insight in verse number three. If you want to be blessed, you've got to get planted, and then you'll be productive, producing fruit. In its season, you've got to be patient. It's not going to happen overnight. Sometimes people will compare, you know, uh, years and years of ministry and blessing, and then they don't experience that same thing in just a short amount of time. And I would just encourage, be patient. You'll bear the fruit in the right season. And so we've got to be planted, rooted in the right place. You'll bear fruit. By the way, when a tree uh, gives off fruit, the tree itself doesn't eat the fruit, right? The fruit is not for the tree. The fruit is for the benefit of others. You know, one of the greatest reasons that you need to get planted in the local church, one of the greatest reasons that you need to get planted in the house of God is not simply for your benefit. It's for the benefit of other people. There are people that need to be encouraged. There are people that need to be reached with the gospel message. There are people in this room today that are hurting and carrying something that no one else knows about. And God has called us to edify the church and to lift people up. And hey, we are to be planted so that we can bear good fruit, so that it can be a blessing to other people. God has blessed us, not so that we could hoard the blessing, but so that we could share the blessing with other people in our lives. He shall be like a tree planted in the right place, planted by the rivers of water, bringing forth fruit in its season, and his leaf also shall not wither. Persistence. We've got to keep on going. 
hey, we can't just take a step back anytime something gets a little challenging or gets a little bit difficult. I've been reading articles, and, and uh, I, I've been doing some study of, of, of our area, and, and I just want you to know that the problems that are facing our country, the problems that are facing our world, they're not going anywhere. And so there ought to be some followers of Jesus that decide now, you know what, no matter what happens in the world today, no matter what happens in the culture today, uh, we are going to stand strong on the principles of God's word. The leaf also shall not wither. There's going to be some persistence. When the going gets tough, I'm going to keep on going by the grace of God. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he, do, he does will prosper. God will bring about the blessing. But we've got to determine to be in the right place. I love what Psalm 84.10 says. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. I'm thankful for the ushers at Rock Hill. I'm thankful for the parking team. I'm thankful for all the servant leaders at Rock Hill. He says, I'd rather be an usher, a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. I'd rather be serving in the local church than anything else. Because one of the keys to the blessed life is to find yourself rooted and planted in the right place. You have one more in today? One more key? Here's the fourth and final key. Uh, this is what we need for the blessed life. We need the right perspective. The right perspective. Notice it in verse number four. It says in verse 4, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. And so he gives a simple contrast. He says the righteous, the godly, the blessed are going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. There's stability there in a healthy tree. But the ungodly, those that reject the ways of God, the ungodly are not so. They're like a chaff which the wind driveth away. And he's using this common imagery of uh, of the grain of wheat. On the threshing floor, they would separate the chaff from the grain. I think we have a picture this morning. And so they would keep all the, the wheat grains and they would make sure to, to, to harvest that and hold on to it. But the chaff is wor- worthless. The chaff is, is light and, and unnecessary. You don't need to hold on to that. And the chaff will be uh, just driven away with the wind. And so what he's saying is that there is stability in the blessed life and there's instability when we reject the ways of God ups and downs and all, all over the place. Driven about with every wind and every slight of doctrine, every time there's a, a new thing in culture, a new thing in media, we just fall over here and we fall over here. But there is stability in the ways of God that we can be anchored, that we can have a more sure word of prophecy and have a strong foundation. And so he says, the ungodly are not so, they're like a like a chaff in the wind, it just drives away, verse 5. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Verse 6. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And there's a word that I just want to look at in that verse for a second as we close today. It's the word perish. The ungodly will perish those that reject the ways of God, those that reject Jesus Christ as their Savior, the Bible says that they will perish. This is something that we do not take lightly. This is something that we ought to consider on a daily basis, that those in our lives without Christ will perish. This is the right perspective for the blessed life, to realize that there are people in our lives, people in our city, people in our community that desperately need the gospel message. 
because apart from Christ, they will perish to a terrible, awful, real place called hell. This is the heart of Jesus. This is the heart of God, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but God is long-suffering to us. He has patience toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, Jesus came to earth to seek and to save that which was lost, to make a way for us when there was no way. He came to save the world and to die on the cross for your sins and for my sins so that we could experience the forgiveness of our sins and and to be cleansed from our unrighteousness. And if you've never accepted the free gift of salvation, if if your sins have never been forgiven, then you are on your way to perishing in a terrible place called hell apart from Christ. And I wish that wasn't true, but it is because God is a holy God. But I'm thankful today that he made a way when there was no way and that he is not willing that any should perish and that God sent his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that, my friends, is the good life. That is the abundant life, life eternal. That's what this is all about. And so if you want to live the blessed life, we have to have the right perspective. The right perspective is that there is a real heaven and a real hell and that people need to hear the gospel message that Jesus made a way when there seemed to be no way. And as followers of Jesus, we're living for something bigger than ourselves, bigger than politics, bigger than our own interests. We're living for all of eternity for the glory of God. That's the right perspective. And if your perspective is centered on you and what is comfortable and my ideas and my agenda, then you will miss out on the truly blessed life. Because there is no greater blessing than to see someone pray and accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. In the first service today, we had several pray to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's what this is all about. Because at the end of the day, what does it matter if we learn to live a good life and we have, we have some comfort and convenience here and now, but then we die? And we go to the grave and live eternally apart from Christ. When was the last time you really paused and considered the magnitude of eternity? This is our calling. This is our perspective. And I believe it's so appropriate that Psalms 1 ends with this thought of, don't forget about those that are perishing. This is the right perspective. And so Psalm 1 gives us everything that we need to know about the blessed life. Here it is. Everything we need to know about the blessed life, the who, the right people, the what, the right promises in God's word, where getting planted in the right place by the rivers of water, and the why, the right perspective. God doesn't want us to live the stressed life. We can live the blessed life. And today I wanna encourage you to remember these keys that will unlock the blessed life. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes together today.